Hi, I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Corey. <gasps> Corey, who are you? How did you get here? I got teleported in from the other podcast that you do. I'm the red-headed, ugly stepchild of that one, and <laughs> just kind of wandered on to set here. Yeah, well, but see, you may be the red-headed stepchild, but you're in Clint's good graces because he uh, he makes us be organized over there, but here, there's no such thing. No, I know. When when Clint told me, when I told him I was coming on this, he, he packed me a little bit of a um, an emergency bag, so... I don't. I haven't really looked at it yet, but we'll, we'll maybe dig into it if things get a little hairy. <laughs> so, what have you listened to this podcast? And it's okay to say no. I've listened to twenty minutes of one podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and then gave up. <laughs> it was good. I was like, I was just trying to get a sense of uh, the chemistry here and 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 how well I should prepare myself. Yeah. How many times did we mention poop? I didn't hear poop at all. Oh, mm. didn't get so I'm assuming this is a poop-free podcast, which I'm a fan of. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Also, I thought it was kind of in the I thought it was in the sort of um, theme as fresh air, where you guys would be asking me questions. I don't know. I mean, I, am I kind of on track there? Ask about my life and N- my story. So yes, if you are uh, the man that I'm going to tell you guys a story about, it's really more like we one of us comes up with a terrifying tale not like comes up with out of our brain uh but so we, we could do that. research it <laughs> we, we we could it does happen actually <laughs> and then we tell it to the other person and then you know we make jokes along the way okay well it says here in my contract that you guys would be this would be a g-rated podcast where you guys would just be kind of forest gumping my life here but i can switch formats that's totally fine I don't know who That's... wrote that contract, but they're an idiot. <laughs> Damn it, Clint. <laughs> it was Clint. God, Clint. Yeah. I believe when I was preparing you for the coming onto this podcast, I said there's no rules except we roast Clint. <laughs> yeah, you said I'd be leaving the land of the humans and joining up with a bunch of feral raccoons. <laughs> that feels pretty accurate, don't you think, Jennifer? Yes. That's... Yep, that's about right. Yep. Lay it um, on me. All right. Now I'm going to try and do the silence for the intro, which Clint always wants. So officially, welcome to All Things Terror. I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. I'm Corey. And Corey is visiting from Set Podcast to Sun. He's come here for uh, a true terrifying tale from science, history, true crime, or throughout the known universe. Wait, were you asking me a question? No, I'm just telling you that's what you're here for. Oh, that's a pretty expansive topic. I'm excited to see what you have in store for us today. Yeah, so Corey and I do a podcast with Clint. Um, it is about Star Trek. We watch Star Trek, and then we talk about it. And we watched an episode that was called, like, The Present is Now, The Future. Past is Present. The Present is Future. The Past is Present. S- season 1, Episode 16. <laughs> I did not remember that. I, so I don't know you. if that's true. Yeah, I'm so just making that up. It's, it's true now. Uh, so this is, I said this story reminded me of a real life incident, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do the real life version of that fake fiction show. Um, 
Corey, do you want to tell us what the setup in the first, like, I don't know, the cold open, the main, what does the Enterprise do? Oh, How sure. does Kirk get his crush on board? Give us, give us a real fast recap. All right. Uh, well, the cold open for that episode is it's uh, in a 1969 Air Force base um, on a Star Trek show. So all the already you're like, what the heck is going on? And there's these fighter jets that take off to intercept some sort of a UFO in the atmosphere. Am I talking about the correct episode so far, Emily? I think that's the. I think. Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. that's it. Okay. <laughs> um, we cut to the Enterprise, which has. Uh, gone through some sort of a spatial anomaly in the episode they say that it it interacted with a black star of great attraction um which would just be a black hole and it so it goes to this black hole it ends up in orbit around earth in the year 1969 and they have to try and find a way to get to the future but before that while they are in the atmosphere of earth they get intercepted by this lone fighter pilot who's uh, recording them and so they have to beam this fighter pilot on board so he doesn't go back and tell everybody you know that he just saw a spaceship in in earth's atmosphere so they beam him aboard kirk apparently gets a huge crush on him from hearing clint's interpretation of, of the episode <laughs> and hijinks ensue as they try to try to destroy all the evidence that this pilot had captured and get themselves back to the future yeah so that's basically what we're going to talk about today the real life version jennifer do you know this story i do and i want to uh, (laughs) i want to point out that there was absolutely no reason to have to beam that guy onto the ship because if he went up and he's like i just saw a spaceship we all know how the world would treat that person they'd be like "Uh uh-huh sure Sure you you did um, are you taking well, your medication? <laughs> I think I think he the the Enterprise was like yeah 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 like I don't know shooting some sort of ray at this ship because it was firing at them and then they're like oh man even in our damaged state we're gonna destroy the ship I mean they could have just killed him but they didn't I think that's why they beamed him aboard. It was a very problematic episode in many, many ways. I agree with you, Jed. If he'd just gone back and been like, I saw a spaceship, and then they'd be like, okay, go hang out with Randy Quaid in Canada, you, you, you nut. But, <laughs> but he did He did film the Enterprise, and then his ship crashed, and so on film there was the Enterprise. But, but you know, again, we still have all kinds of stuff where people, you know, caught, quote, Bigfoot on film or Loch Ness Monster and people are still like, oh, it's a fake. Just say Jennifer, I'm so glad. That is a great setup because I'm going to tell you all a story uh, that happened in 1978 that is basically this episode and exactly what we're talking about. Uh, and this is the disappearance of Fred Frederick Valentich. Do you guys know this story? No, but can I, I just clarify not. real quick? Is it Fred Frederick, or did you just say his correct first name after his uh, nickname? <laughs> it's Fred. No, I would love it if his Fred. His name is Frederick, but he goes by Fred. Okay. So I wrote Fred Frederick in my notes, but then I said it, which I didn't need to do, but I did. It is unfortunate that he's not triple named like Fred Frederick Freddy. Fred Frederick <laughs> Frederickson. <laughs> 
well, the other thing that's unfortunate about him is he's only 20, um, which just is an unfortunate age. Uh, so it's 7 p.m. October 21st. Uh, Fred is a he has a small aircraft pilot's license and he's at Moorabbin Air Force Base, which is in Australia, um, which is delightful. I'm pretty pumped that this is going to be um, talking about Australia. And on this particular evening, he is planning to fly south about an hour and a half, 90 minutes to this little place called King Island, and to get there, he goes over the Bass Strait. The journey is 125 nautical miles, and because I did research for rail, I looked that up, and that's about 143 regular miles. Did a math. So, yep, I did a math. Uh, that's like the dumbest conversion ratio ever, but whatever. <laughs> Wait, do airplanes use nautical miles? Shouldn't they use, like, air miles? Because nautical is like related use... to the sea, isn't it? Yeah, I think they use nautical miles. I'm not going to pretend to understand just... what a nautical mile is. I don't know why. It's just a light, slightly longer than a regular mile. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, one of the things that's exciting about this is I have an inside, an inside source, uh, which we'll get to. A nautical oh, mile what? inside source. Mm-hmm. They're like, I yeah. know every, I have everything you need about nautical miles. <laughs> it's a nautical Maybe. mile black market. Yeah. It's the fourth it's guest right on the show here. today. It's, it's going to be a great Q&A. <laughs> that's, that's actually what's inside the emergency backpack that Clint packed you. It's just nautical miles. I'm just looking. I just zipped it open. It looks like uh, there's a space blanket. There's some road flares. There's a Bible. I don't know. There's more stuff. Yeah, maybe some holy water. That won't work on us. We're just naturally this terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So Fred is on the southern part of Australia. He's going to Tassie, Tasmania. Um, This is, that's the direction, if this means anything to anybody. He has a single engine Cessna 182L. So first of all, and I've already said that he's going to disappear. So, you know, you guys know that's the creepy thing. But uh, there have been quite a few different sources that say that Fred gave different reasons for why he was going to King Island. And one source described King Island as, quote, rugged, windswept, and scenic. So just to set the scene for you. Um, He told his family he was going to pick up crawfish and the trail went cold, which is my favorite podcast. I talk about it. I love it. Uh, Said that they weren't even available there. Um, He told his bosses that he was picking up passengers, and he was seen putting in, like, extra life preservers. And then, interestingly, one peer-reviewed source, which I'm definitely going to come back to the fact that there's a peer-reviewed source about this, uh, says that he followed a flight plan, but most other sources say that he never informed King Island of his arrival, which would mean that he didn't file a flight plan. So it's a little uh, shaky what's going on. So is it possible that he was actually going to King Island to pick up giant crawdads and that's what he meant as they- <laughs> like they're human size? He was gonna boil like it's gonna be the best crawfish boil anyone has ever had in Australia. I was thinking I... the same thing too, like he like the life preservers he was putting in his plane were just tiny, like the size of crawfish. <laughs> 
I worked at a brewery in uh, that was having a crawfish boil once, and they were like, oh, we've got a lot left over. Like, if you, the staff, want some, go get some. So I went and got, like, a tray, and I came back to my coworkers, and they were like, is there a lot of crawfish left? Anyway, I was trying to tell them how much crawfish there was left. I wasn't sure how to... Uh, like explain how much was left and so I like said there's me and half of me left of crawfish like one and a half mass of people uh and that's that maybe that's what he was getting is one and a half crab people I love using the body as a measurement for the amount of portions <laughs> in a food it there's a lot of crawfish. If you hollowed me out and stuffed me with water bug meat, that's how you'd get me and another <laughs> half of me. This is also like a real comment on how much crawfish people can eat because people were like, oh, that's a fair amount, but you better get some before it's gone. Like, can you imagine if I was like, how much birthday cake is left? And I was like, one and a half person's worth of birthday cake. You better go get some. It's going to go away you better really fast. Go get some. <laughs> Uh, well, I also listened to an episode of All Aussie Mystery Iowa, uh, and they say that King's Island has good cheese, so maybe he was just going for some cheese. He was going on a cheese vacation. Yeah. Just, <sighs> Corey, we have had a years-long wish that people would get so into our podcast that we could go on tour, and then, like, everywhere we went, we would just go and eat different cheeses, regional cheeses. See, I think that that's a cool idea. You might get picked up by Vice or something. You kind of have to like cover a war zone or or go to some creepy castles or whatever. But yeah, just do a little bit of a gastro tour. That's the dream. We could go go and eat the cheese that has the worms in it. I mean, oh, in Italy. Oh God, isn't that stuff banned now? No, it's not. It's not banned um, because it's like deemed a cultural food. We did a whole episode <laughs> i don't think i could do it i really don't think i can do it i didn't i want to say that i could but i don't know i don't know maybe like one bite where you just get one bite and you bite it directly okay but would you put put a bag over it and wait for all the jumping larvae to die or would you do it I'm, as they're still alive <laughs> i mean you, you gotta do it while they're still alive oh god Ugh. If they were dead, I could 100% do that. I've eaten bugs before. Fair enough. If a, if a gnat flies in my lemonade, that glass is going in the trash. <laughs> I could not do it. <laughs> Just the whole glass. <laughs> Throw the whole glass out. Hey, can I point out what this... The security's been compromised. <laughs> with this story you're telling us so far, like it's really crazy that he told one group of people he's picking up crawdads and another person that he's like the authorities that he's picking up passengers like that's yeah i will say it's weird well you know it could also just be a complicated game of telephone where somebody's like i thought he said passengers but Mm -hmm. you know where they're halfway listening and he was really like i'm gonna get crawdads and the person was like cross and passengers yes that's what i heard (laughs) well Here's my inside knowledge. I'm going to drop it on you. My dad is has basically the same pilot's license, and he flies a similar plane, 
Um, and so I've been at, like, he does this not for, like, a job, just, like, it's fun. But, like, you just, you can just, like, go up in a plane and, like, fly. Like, to get your licensing, you have to have certain number of hours. So, like, for a while, he would just go up to get hours with his instructor because he, you have to get so many hours before you can, like, fly by yourself. So, like, maybe he was just getting some practice in, you know? Yeah, that's possible. Makes sense. Anyway, either way, uh, he leaves at 619. Uh, sunset is about 645 on this particular day. And, quote, at 7 p.m., he radioed back to Melbourne Air Traffic Control as he flew over Cape Otway on Victoria's south coast and reported nothing out of the ordinary. Winds were light. Visibility was good. And the visibility is really important. Um, we'll, we'll get to that later. But not much longer, some 706, something very odd happens. So he radios the Melbourne airport, which is basically right next to Moorabbin, which is where he took off from. And he spoke with the controller, Steve Roby. And uh, here is the opener. And here's a question. Uh, do either of you want to do an Australian accent with me? Oh, I'd be delighted. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, let's see. Corey, I'm going to send you. You can be, I'll be Valentich and you can be oh, Roby, okay? Your audio cut out again, Emily. No. Okay, she's back. Also, FYI, my dad just said that pilots do use nautical miles. Well, I guess that probably makes sense for some good sense reason, but I don't know what the sense reason is. Okay, I don't either. I, got you. I have no clue. All right. <clears throat> Melbourne, is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. I am. Um, seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It is full bright. It seems to be like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at least 1,000 feet above. We're, we're so great. Wait, I'm so, <laughs> so we can keep that take, but... I, I forgot that I was an air traffic controller, and I thought I was someone just talking to you, but I sounded very angry and accusing the entire time. That's <laughs> not, I like it. <laughs> no, there's this is a very no aggressive. Dummy. <laughs> Why would you ask such a Yeah, Valentin, <laughs> the bored air traffic controller that can't be bothered. I'm watching my <laughs> stories. God damn it, you idiot. No, it's perfect because according to this podcast, Roby like picked it up and someone was like, hey, what's this aircraft when Valentich asked that? And he said, here we go again. Because at the time in 78, like people were seeing UFOs all the time and he had gotten calls before about these like unidentified things from pilots. And he's just like, great, this again. So it works out. He's so he was over teacher, it at this basically. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for Roby and Valentich, this is not where it ended. So instead, Valentich asks again if there's any Air Force activity in the area, and Roby again says nope, like there's nothing going on. And then Valentich says, quote, it's approaching right now from due east towards me. There's silence for two seconds. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I could not identify. So this keeps going on, and Roby will ask Valentich, like, what is this? Can you just, like, Valentich is like, what is this aircraft? And Roby's like, we don't have anything. Can you describe what it is? 
And Valenchich is like, uh... So, throughout this back and forth, he describes it as very long and narrow. He says it's moving at speeds he can't identify, but very fast. Um, at one point, Valentich says, quote, it seems like it's stationary. What I'm doing right now is orbiting, and the thing is just orbiting on top of me also. It's got a green light and sort of metallic, like it's all shiny on the outside. And then there's like silence for five seconds, which I could just be silent, but instead I'm going to tell you what's happening. It's a Buick. It's just... It's just vanished. <laughs> it's a Buick. It's a majestic land Buick. Uh, I mean, you said long. Narrow. Yeah. I, Sounds like a Buick. So it's got, it's got a green light. It's sort of metallic. And so a lot of sources say, when Valentich says this, that the source is like circling Valentich when he says orbiting. Um, but weirdly, I pictured the thing going in circles on top of him, so I don't know. <laughs> Just like, Whatever. as it's um, flying above him, following him, it's also going in these small circles. Yeah, but, that's why it's kind of, that's what I was picturing. Sort of like, um, what are those things called that you would make in science class to be like, and this is the earth spinning around the sun, and this is the moon spinning <gasps> around the earth? Like the little solar system models? Yes. <laughs> but with planes. Corey, what are you picturing with this plane and the the air Buick? I'm picturing a young Aussie boy all strung out on paint thinner or whatever he's doing. And he's he's uh, not seeing <laughs> anything at all. Um, I'm thinking like this is absolutely like he's trying to get attention or he's trying to like fake his own death so far in the story. Oh man! Yeah, you just you say. wait. <laughs> There's something suspect going on here. Yeah. So after this disappearance, I mean, you guys just you will enjoy this. So after this disappearance, Valenchich his audio breaks up a little bit, but he says the craft is approaching him now from the southwest, and his engine is rough idling. So Steve Roby asks him, like, what do you plan to do? AKA, what are your intentions? And this is what Valentich says. He says, my intentions are uh, to go to King Island. Ah, Melbourne, that strange craft is hovering on top of me again. Silence. It is hovering and it's not an aircraft. And then there's silence. I'm going to read this. Silence for 17 seconds. Open microphone. And then... The the transcript says, quote, with audible, unidentified staccato noise. And that's the last he or his aircraft is ever seen again. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a pterodactyl. Or actually, I go back. It's a Buick. He was like, it's not an aircraft. It's a shitty fucking Buick. It's a car. <laughs> it's, the, it's the flying car from Harry Potter. <laughs> All right. We solved it. I think we're done. Good episode. Bye. <laughs> Like, do we know so, he took off? Was he just, like, sitting in a car park? And, like, it's just, what is going on around me? All these green, all these lights what? just circling me. Well, his plane is never found. So I guess that would be hard to do if you just kept the plane at the airport. There was, quote, a massive, I'm quoting the word massive search for four days. Um... They apparently, so 
the audio recording the audio is recorded and apparently they released it to his father so that he could hear his son's last words but quote only on strict instructions that it go no further and apparently it didn't go any further like there's no um audio like original audio of this there's a lot of like recreations but they haven't released the actual audio and a lot of places interestingly like there's this unidentified sound at the end that uh the transcript calls audible unidentified staccato noise a lot of places describe it the way that this guy miles kemp does who has written a couple news articles about it as a loud metallic clanging sound steve roby says um he called it all of a sudden and i'm quoting this all of a sudden so i'll put on the accent all of a sudden a clicking sound pulsing sort of electronic um so i don't know what that means it's the sound of the enterprise's phaser So they never found any wreckage, anything like did like they knew he because like the first question I have is like, is he do we know that he's actually in the air on his way to King Island? Like, can they like see him on his radar? And does it just do they just like does it just disappear off their radar? Could they do that in the 70s or is that science fiction? Um, I have never really seen that as like a thing. Like no one says anything about that. I don't know the answer. Like, I know what you mean, like, the little radar screen where it's, like, beep, beep, and you see, like, the dot or whatever. Yeah, it's just, like, 20th, 20th century, or late, or 21st century technology. But yeah, I just thought, like, you could always see live every plane on that little green blip thing. Maybe that's just sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did, too. <laughs> well, it's possible I mean, I that... Mean, I mean, at airports have stuff like that to track planes that are not just their planes, right? Because everybody's got a know who's in what airspace but it seems like if you're i mean this is showing my real country roots here but like you didn't as far as i know no one who is running a crop duster had to like report in and be like i'm in this airspace because they're just crop dusting a field out in the middle yeah. of the country flying at you know a certain range so mm-hmm. well the little airplanes fly a lot be, lower interesting to know um how in depth like plane tracking goes yeah i think what the this little is airplanes is none of us really know anything about planes <laughs> <laughs> i flew a plane once well i know the little planes fly a lot lower than bigger planes um and that's why i like the crop dusters jennifer like don't have to necessarily file a flight plan and like when my dad flies his little plane into big airports he like radios in to tell them where he is and like sends his flight plan but they don't like track him so maybe the radar only tracks things that are big and this plane is too little and i guess it wouldn't be surprising necessarily that they didn't that they didn't find any wreckage because you know we've lost bigger planes than that and never found wreckage so Yeah, so there are some theories. So, first off, some info about Valentich that you are going to really love, Corey. So, here's a little bit of science. 
um, and some tips or some tips. Ew, that's a weird thing to say. Uh, some facts about Valentich that Corey, you're really gonna like this. So first of all, he was super into flying, but maybe not very good at it. Question mark. Um, he applied twice to the Royal Air Force and was rejected twice. Um, Wikipedia says to quote inadequate educational qualifications. So like to me, that could just be that they were like look, kid, you don't have the GPA or whatever. Like, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with this flying. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, even in the U.S., like, um, I think you have to have stuff like perfect fucking vision and all this. It's really hard to, I think, yeah. be in a military air force. Yeah, and it didn't say, like, because his eyes were bad. It was just inadequate educational qual- So it could be, like, you know, you have to get the ASVAB, that, like, quiz that you can, like, get out of class to take. And if you get a high score, you can go into, like, the Air Force or whatever. So maybe he didn't do good at that. If it wasn't if it wasn't based on his GPA, it sounds like they were just being dicks. Like, <laughs> after a 15-minute <laughs> conversation with you, we've determined that there's no way you could operate an airplane. Hey, you guys are both in the the plane, the plane, air scene a little bit, a little bit of air culture. How common is it for a 20-year-old to be able to solo flight across an ocean? Like, like could, could an American uh, early adult at 20 be in this kind of, uh, have these credentials? I think so. Yeah. I, I don't think it's like, like, I don't think there's an age limit the way there is with, like, a driver's license. So... I think as long as you had the hours to get the licensing, you could do it. Because twenty is it very, does very remind. Young. Yeah, it reminds me when I was a kid. There was a movie about like a girl flying with geese. Oh yeah, I remember that. He was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, flying a plane by herself because she was like leading the geese to where they needed to go or something. <laughs> Wasn't it like you know Fly Away about? Home? Wasn't yeah. that the name of it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Man. Yeah. So that leads me to believe that children can totally fly planes. Um, <laughs> well, my uncle is like he trains people on how to fly these little planes. He has his own little plane. And I mean, he's always talking about taking people out. And when I flew, uh, I was in my 20s. So I don't. I don't find that he's 20 to be particularly shocking, um, but... It's just just an unfortunate time of life for him. Yeah, I mean, he didn't even, you know, get to find the glory of, like, being 30, so... Well, and for poor, poor Fred, uh, in addition to that, he also twice failed, quote, all five commercial license examination subjects... Um, and he had failed to, like, get his instrument rating, so, like, he can only legally fly when the conditions are visible, uh, which is the same with my dad, but he, he said that twice he had gotten in trouble for, uh, one time he accidentally, like, kind of strayed into a controlled zone in Sydney, and they were like, hey, get out of here. And then, like, another time he flew into a cloud, which he is not rated to do. So you have to, like, get your instrument rating means that you can, like, you just fly by looking at the instruments, not, like, looking out the window. Like you're driving a Tesla? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
my dad has was trying to get it for a while and he said that he was learning how to do it by like they put like horse blinders on him and he so he can't look out the window he can only look at the instruments <laughs> they put horse blinders on him. <laughs> yeah isn't that like a box so he can't see out the window <laughs> be like look i won't look outside but please don't humiliate me <laughs> <laughs> he also had to wear a bit and I was like what's the bit for and he's like I don't know <laughs> um so it's possible that Valentich did just crash because he's not great but I also I don't know sometimes like failing a test isn't a big deal you know maybe everybody fails some tests I don't know Corey to your comment an article that talked about Valentich's disappearance in 1978 the Ellensburg Daily Record like the article right next to Valentich's disappearance also is writing about another small aircraft crash in which three of the four bodies were recovered and the coroner's comment about this crash is that the bodies were quote pretty well destroyed so one how do you say that, that Australia is wild? And two, small aircraft crashes are pretty common. So it's possible that he did crash. Yeah, pretty well destroyed. The reporter's like, pretty well destroyed. is that a scientific term, sir? <laughs> Fuck, boy, <fine laughs> now. It's like, yep, I've got my doctorate in all. Uh, and there is a theory called a death spiral and I asked my dad what the graveyard, like, it's called a death spiral or graveyard spiral. And basically what happens is that the pilot gets confused about the horizon and they sort of, like, spin around, but they don't realize they're spinning around and then they crash. And I asked my dad about it and he said, well, first of all, he said that he flies a Cessna 182, which is, quote, a couple steps up from the 152. So fancy, fancy. Uh, but he, this is what he says about it. Quote, uh, and Corey, my dad is like our, we have three fans and my dad is one of them. So this is, this is a big moment for him getting into the podcast. Um, Does he have an Australian he accent? Really, no, I could read it as one. No, but he he really likes Jennifer. He's he said that if Jennifer marries me, she gets a dowry of his Arrowhead collection, which is pretty good. He used to be a field geologist, so it's a pretty good dowry for her. I mean, I already want a bet, so you're obligated to marry me. <laughs> Those Arrowheads are mine. <laughs> All right, so he here's what he says about the graveyard spiral. I asked if it was a thing, and he says, quote, Yes, it is, and it's very scary. When planes crash, often the last thing that happens is the wing stalls and it goes into a spin. If the pilot does not recover the plane from the stall, it will go into a spin. The stall is when the air no longer flows under the wing, usually due to airspeed being too low. It has nothing to do with the engine. If a plane is going down, often the last thing the pilot will do is raise the nose to try and keep it flying. This causes the airspeed to drop and the plane stalls into the ground or spins into the ground if the plane was high enough above ground level to develop into a spin. After I got my private license, the last thing my instructor Stephen told me was, if you remember nothing else that I have taught you, John, remember this. If it ever looks bad and you're going to crash before you hit trees or houses, push the nose down. The only way to have any control is to maintain airspeed. As part of my training, I put the Cessna 152... Ah into a spin and recovered 
It was the scariest thing I ever did in a plane. Holy moly. I like that he, yeah, he clarified that it was the scariest thing he ever did in a plane. Did you do something scarier outside of a plane? I know. Oh my God. <laughs> I want to hear the rest of that story. <laughs> this one time I punched a bear, and that was the scariest thing I ever did in Alaska. <laughs> Wait. Who, who is this man of mystery? <laughs> okay, okay, so here's what I want to say about that. So to get your pilot license, and I know being a pilot's a lot more dangerous than being just an operator of a, of a, a vehicle, but part of the process there is they put you in the most dangerous situation you could ever be in and you have to test out of that. <laughs> like that'd be like if the fucking DMV is like, okay, well you did your parallel parking. So we're going to get on I-80 and we got a semi coming at you in the wrong lane and you're going to have to try and disengage out of that situation. <laughs> like that's fucking bananas. Do you think the roads would be safer or less safe if that was part of your driver's license test? <laughs> well, that makes me think that driving a car is a lot more dangerous than flying an airplane because a lot more people are killed in a vehicle. So maybe we should have some more high stakes things. I And this is getting a little off track, but I was thinking like, I remember, I know that there's some driving schools that like have you drive on like ponds with ice, you know, and pull off maneuvers. You know, you're only 18 <laughs> years old, but they're trying to get you used to some crazier situations. That would be, I, I think every teenager needs to be taken onto a ice pond in a car like can you just that is bananas and i love it i want that to happen Who are you, or like sir? do you work for the dmv keep driving get on the lake or like as part of it you just know that some other dmv employee is going to be throwing a weird object into your path as you're driving you don't know what the object is and you don't know when it's coming Tarantula. but it will happen here's a child <laughs> no right they're just going to trim trees right ahead of you, and they're all going to fall. You've got to swerve around them. It's gonna, you know, like, you have to answer, like, the the questions that they have. Like, if you're doing this, what do you do? It's going to be like, they're going to see, like, ah, we see, you know, Mr. Blah 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 missed this question about hydroplaning. So let's just flood, let's just flood the street. It's just flooding. Yeah, what, whatever one you miss on your written, they recreate it in the in the driving test. Yeah, the DMV is like everyone keeps missing the blood alcohol level question. <laughs> <laughs> I I failed my written test one time, and then the second time I was about to fail it, but I only missed a couple questions, and my mom was like. She's a real talker, and she, like, talked to the lady and was like, ah, oh, what if we get them right just now? Like, I promise you she's a good driver. And the lady was like, okay, it's only a couple questions. And I don't remember if I missed this one or what, but the question, I did miss it because I, like, didn't understand what they were asking. But the question was basically, like, what do you do if you're driving and there's a bicyclist next to you? And, like, the, the the answers were just worded weird, and that's why I missed it. But my mom, like, the lady asked this question, and my mom said, roll down the window and smack him on the ass. <laughs> and she started laughing so hard that she was just like, okay, all right, you pass. Like, she didn't even finish quizzing me. She was just like, that is such the right answer that you've unlocked the secret DMV. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so 
All things anyway, fair, the does idea... not condone smiky, uh, smacking bicycles <laughs> on the ass. Don't do no, that. Consent matters. Unless... People. Yeah, don't do that. Unless their shirt says, please smack me on the ass. And then you can do it because they're literally asking it for it. Um, anyway, so the idea is that Valentich might have gotten distracted. Like, it's dark, but the conditions are clear. He gets, like, weirded out by the horizon and he thinks he's seen something. But what he's really seen is his own wing as he's spinning or getting too low. And so the green light was actually the light on the edge of his own wing, which there really was. Um, and he somehow crashed into the ocean and there was no ship. So he spooked That's himself. Sad. It is sad. Uh, so I have a fun fact for you here to make it less sad, and that's that we call my dad's plane Peterson, and I don't remember why anymore, but when I asked him, I was like, what kind of plane is Peterson? My dad knew exactly what I meant, so that's kind of weird and happy, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, Corey, here is your theory, theory number two, and there are three theories. Theory number two is that Fred was either faking his death or completing suicide, but before he did that, he was hoaxing everybody. Because here's another great fact about him. He was super into UFOs. Like, he was really about it. And apparently, Papa Valentich said that Fred was actively worried about being abducted by one. Like, it caused him real anxiety. I mean, he's, like, living in the prime of, of UFO mania, right? It's I like, know! It's like being afraid of the commies in the 50s and the 60s. Like, everyone was just kind of terrified or, they'd be abducted in the 70s. Right? Or, like, terrorism in the early 2000s. Yep, yep. Less fun. Less fun than commies. But apparently he also told his girlfriend just a few days before they saw before this happened that if he saw a UFO, he's like, yeah, I'd go with them. Um, and the trail went cold, which I, like, I love this podcast. He, like, roasts him a little bit for this. Like, he says, okay, if he is faking this, if he's faking his death, he's failed all these tests, so he's, quote, not exactly a genius. How would he disappear an entire plane? And then he also says, like, he roasts the aliens he just goes, if there really are aliens, quote, it seems like one hell of a coincidence to select someone who had a devout interest in the subject to abduct. So that was hilarious. Uh, also being the prime of life, uh, UFO life, uh, Valentich had definitely seen Close Encounters, which had just come out. Um, Star Wars had just come out. And uh, in The Trail Went Cold, Robin Warder uh, my boo says that um, some of what Valentich says sounds kind of similar to uh, dialogue in Close Encounters. Really? Uh, I have not seen that movie. This is where I confess that I haven't seen it. I, I mean, I've seen it, but it didn't ring a bell, but I also was like very young when I watched that. I, I just remember yeah, the mashed potato scene. Just some of the like what kind of aircraft is there out here i remember more from fly away home than i do 
close encounters. So <laughs> well, I won't be helpful know, here. It, it was an adorable story about a goose bird thing. Yeah, and like they save the baby geese and then they have to take the baby geese somewhere else. And they've left out that geese are very mean animals. Yeah, they didn't yeah. find a way to include that in the script, did they? That they fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. That they're not worth saving. <laughs> I mean, they're not on the level of pure maliciousness of swans, but I think they're pretty close. It's basically like the movie Prancer, but with geese. Do you guys remember Prancer? No. What is Prancer? Oh. <laughs> Clint, we can edit all this out. It's the movie where... Uh, <laughs> The little girl saves a deer or a reindeer that's going to get turned into hamburger meat, and its name is Prancer. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> Clint, do not edit that out. No, I think that's very important. <laughs> yeah. So one of the theories is that Valentich is purposely doing this hoax, um, and he's either going gonna, gonna to disappear by death or some other adventure. And there's really been no, like, reason why he would want to kill himself. There's no evidence of any, like, mental disturbance. Like, he's really happy. Uh, he, you know, it's just, um, there's no basis for that theory. As for the hoax, um, so there's this massive investigation at the time, and then the file goes missing for years. And people are like, oh, it's a cover-up. And in 2004, this guy, um, Basterfield, whoop, whoop, is that his name? Yeah, Basterfield. He finds the file online, and he's like, I think people just had, like, a clerical error. Like, this is not anything malicious. Um, but he found the file, and he reads it all, and you can find it. Um, but he says, quote, there was a lot of public speculation at the time of a hoax disappearance, but there is nothing in the 315 pages that even suggests that. And Roby, the guy that was actually talking to him when he disappeared, he has said all the time, like always, he doesn't think that it's a hoax, that Valentich did sound like genuinely um, uh, like stressed was the word that he used in this one clip that I saw. Um and so the idea is that he wasn't hoaxing it. Um, Corey, a tailfin does wash up on shore um, five years after he crashes, but the and it is a Cessna and it shares some serial numbers with Valentich's plane, but not all of them. And so it could be his plane, but it could be lots of other planes. Like a year after he disappears in a similar area, another small aircraft, the Leona, disappears with three passengers and two crew. Um, around 2012, an aircraft wheel from a Russian plane just rolls up on shore and they're like, we have no idea where this comes from. Um, the, the mayor of King Island, David Brewster, who is also a pilot because, of course, says, quote, a few aircraft have come to grief, but more boats. But these things happen, and apart from Valentich, most are quite explainable. So it's kind of a dangerous area, a little bit. Um, and I don't really know if that leads into... He... Hold on, I just want to say, the title of Mayor of King Island is so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm the mayor of King Island. <laughs> I'm the mayor of all these fucking kings. 
so here's the real reason why, of course, this is the one that I thought of. And it's because this is obviously uh, the Enterprise went back in time and mm-hmm. accidentally landed on top of Valentich's plane and had to um, beam him aboard and keep him. Uh, apparently, the head of the transport department in that big investigation that um, Basterfield finds um, specifically suggested that the minister asked the defense minister to launch an investigation into the possibility of, is it a UFO? And a UFO could be aliens. It could just be like a secret military plane or whatever. Um, Mr. Basterfield says, quote, I have read about 20,000 pages of government reports on UFO files, and I have never seen such a suggestion. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. I have a theory. There are C- clutch you those have pearls. a theory. <laughs> clutch those pearls. Tell us your theory, Corey. Okay, so I mentioned Randy Quaid earlier, and do you guys remember <laughs> him in Independence Day? Like his big purpose he yes. served in that movie was to fly his <laughs> He's jet. He's the one. Yeah, right into the butt of the plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe you know, like how you can get an honorary degree if you're just like a really cool person, like. If you're uh-huh. just like a singer, you can get like an honorary degree from Harvard for like whatever. Or, you know, if yeah. you're like a if you get a Nobel Prize, then they'll, you'll just get honorary degrees from people. Maybe he was thinking like, look, I can't pass the tests. Uh, I'm apparently not smart enough to to get in that way. So what if I save the Earth from an alien invasion? <laughs> So his plan maybe was that he was going to simulate the Earth being under attack. He would fly his plane into it to destroy the UFO. He would jump out at the last second, which is why he brought all those life preservers so he could make himself like a big bodysuit of life preservers. And then he would um, he would float back and get his honorary pilot license. So like I blasted those fucking gray man out of the sky, and then um, he'd be. He'd be lauded a hero. Yeah, but then just some some something went wrong in his little plan, and he didn't get out in time. That's that, that, look. This is the best theory that I could come up with. Well, you might be onto something there because allegedly there is uh, other reports corroborating seeing weird things in the vicinity where Valentich disappears. Uh, quote, the Victorian UFO Action Group, quote-unquote, um, in 2014. Apparently, there was a farmer near Adelaide uh, who said that he was hanging out in his field and he saw a 30-meter craft hovering over his property the morning after Valentich disappeared. And he claimed that he saw the Cessna the plane stuck to the side of the craft leaking oil and the farmer scratched like somehow was able to see the plane's identification number and scratched it on the side of his tractor um and when he told people they like made fun of him and so he never came forward and so in 2014 the victorian ufo action group is like please we'll believe you um but you know that hasn't happened and then another theory says that, and both the trail went cold and all Aussie Mystery Hour talk about this. Um, there's another guy who's like taking sunsets, like pictures of the sunset over the water in the area. 
And he didn't see anything at the time. But later, when he's looking at the pictures, it looks like there's an aircraft that's under the water and then coming out of the water. And the trap. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, that's just uh, like it was like dolphining out of the water. Yeah, it was like it was under the water. It was like, um, you know, those amphibious boats. It was like that, except it's a submarine airplane amphibious boat. And it was disguised as a dolphin. <laughs> These fucking dolphins tricking us again. <laughs> so the trail went cold says that those photos have been evaluated by two completely different organizations. And those organizations came to two completely different conclusions. One said that it's definitely not um, like a printer error. And those, those objects were really there when the pictures were taken. And the other organization said those are definitely not there and they're definitely a printer error. So that seems That's conclusive. Well, quick question. Which organization is owned by the government? Yeah, just real quick. (laughs) Uh, It it goes all the way to the top. These organizations are obviously funded by the government. uh, But luckily we have the Journal of Scientific Exploration. Remember I said there was a peer-reviewed source? Yes. Well, they say, quote, there appears to be sufficient evidence to suggest that Valentich's airplane probably crashed into the sea southeast of Cape Marengo between 3 and 12 miles offshore. The nature of the large object with green lights that accompanied the airplane during its steep descent remains to be identified. And so they have like a bunch of eyewitness accounts. And one of them is under a pseudonym. And he says that he, this guy, Ken Hansen, he was 47 years old at the time, and he and his nieces saw lights of a small aircraft and a very green light, large green light traveling directly above it. And when he told his wife the next morning, she, like, laughed at him. And uh, he told his, yeah, he told some coworkers, and they did the same thing. So he's like, okay, well, whatever. And then years later, he was, like, talking about this with a local policeman, quote-unquote, who told Valentich's father, and that's how they got it in this journal article. So, I don't know. But I will say, I call this a peer-reviewed journal, and that's what they call it, but it belongs to the Society for Scientific Exploration, quote, which provides a professional forum for presentations, criticism, and debate concerning topics which for various reasons are ignored or studied inadequately within mainstream science. So basically it's like fucking chakras and aliens and whatnot. Uh, Quote, the SSE also promotes improved understanding of those factors that unnecessarily limit the scope of scientific inquiry, such as sociological constraints, restrictive worldviews, hidden theoretical assumptions, and the temptation to convert prevailing theory into prevailing dogma. Holy shit. This is like a society that, like, Robert Langdon has to go visit in in one of, you know, the Da Vinci Code books, like, kind of on the fringe (laughs) a little bit. Like, I need a scientist, but a scientist who's really into crystals. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It sounds like you'd be, like, you would meet up for someone who's, like, I'm a scientist on Tinder, and you, like, meet up for a date, and he's, like, well... Modern science won't recognize my work, which is why I only publish in the SSE uh, my research about how fucking can make you live forever. Don't you want to live forever? And you're just like, oh, man, this guy sucks. 
Oh, man. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of people that suck, so. Yep. So, my real, my conclusion on this, everyone who's into UFOs says, like, it's definitely a UFO. And everyone who's not into UFOs says, well, it's probably just a crash, but we don't know what he was seeing. And so I think that this looks exactly like the scene in Tomorrow is Yesterday, where Starfleet is, you know, phasering this guy. It gets all green. His plane explodes, but he gets beamed aboard. And, you know, in that episode, you know, the future is past. Uh, Now, Emily, I just want to stop you here. You've called the episode about three different things so far. (laughs) It's tomorrow is yesterday. No idea what the name is. Tomorrow is yesterday. The future is okay. past. Manana is forever. You know, there's a bunch. Uh, no, I, I think it's diamonds are forever. <laughs> we only live once. Um, and in that, and I think if we're gonna go down that route for that that theory, um, the the young pilot, what's his name? Fred Fredrickson. Yeah, Fred. Fredrickson, uh, yeah. He gets captured. Fred, Freddie Fredrickson. He gets beamed up by the Enterprise, and, like, he can't cut it as a pilot in 1970s Australia. He can't pass the, the tests. However, he is just a goddamn just knack, just just naturally talented in piloting a starship. So his story is really beginning there as he pilots the Enterprise around on all of its adventures in space. Yeah, and they're just like, yeah, you can stay. And Spock's like, God, I was... I was so ready to murder him. He stays. He's an amazing pilot. Maybe him and Kirk fall in love. I don't know. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, is there any itself. pictures of him? Yeah, he's a hottie. All right. Well, there we go. He's cl- clearly the guy, dreamboat guy. Hey, yeah. can, can he's, I? He's a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He's was... a real good looking dude. Can I mention something really quick? When you were talking about the witnesses um, all seeing something similar-ish, it reminded me of, I was yeah. reading about this uh, a couple days ago, but it was in, maybe you guys have covered this on this podcast. It was like in the 15th century in Germany, over the course of a weekend, people just in one town saw all of these lights in the sky. And the way it's it's chronicled, it was like, it looked like the lights were doing battle against each other. Um, and like it was for two or three days and then it just disappears. Um, and the way it's kind of painted now is it's like, oh yeah, those were probably sun dogs. Case Sun dogs. You know what sun dogs are? It's like, uh, when there's a cloud in front of the sun and it like looks like a big light, like heavenly light is streaming Uh, down from it. Oh, cool. I didn't know that was the name of that. Um, I, there's another case in like the year 1300 or something. I have this on my list of possible ones. That's a lot like that, where I think it's like a battle and something appears overhead in the sky and it like stops this massive battle. I know that that happened. It's called the Battle of the Eclipse and it was between um, the Medeans and the Lydians and like uh, like 400 BC, and it was like this huge battle that was going on, and then an eclipse just just goes uh, you know, occurs, and then everyone in the battle just stops fighting, and they're like, "Oh my God, we should probably not be doing this." It's crazy. Yeah, we've angered God. <laughs> I put a, a link in the chat so you guys can all see Fred. He's a he's a good looking dude. 
I think Kirk would be into him. Oh. <clears throat> Let me eyebrows. be the judge. <laughs> I say who's hot around here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say he's a bad looking dude. He's definitely got some like, you know, jawbone structure and some cheekbones. Yeah, he's got he's got a nice bone structure. He's got good he's got expressive eyebrows. He has an Australian accent. <laughs> that just, you know, adds attractiveness points. I I listen, if this doesn't work out with my current boo, I think I'm just going to move to Australia because they're hilarious, they love to drink, they never wear shoes. I just I feel like I would do really well there. I have some uh plant recommendations if you Oh, no. <laughs> to go. Why does Corey? Ed... What do you think? Is he a hottie or naughty? Oh no, it's a naughty. But like, I'm thinking like, why does everybody before the year 2000, if you're like 18, 19, 20, you just look like you're 40 years old? <laughs> it's the it's the food they were eating at that time. <laughs> it's all the lead. I, I, maybe like. They don't have any hair, like their haircut is always slicked back, yeah. so they don't have like a young person hairdo or something. I don't know. None of those he goddamn does look a lot tattoos. Older than 20. <laughs> well, Yeoman Valentich, uh, live long and prosper on the Enterprise, huh? We wish you the best. Yeah. Corey, do you know how we end this podcast? Uh, is it like a bloodletting or anything like that? <laughs> yes, and sometimes a ritual sacrifice, but Clint Clint told me he'd pack something for that in your backpack. Do you is there anything else in there? Let me see. I got snacks, Nutri-Grain bar, uh true tales of great animal heroes. I don't know why he packed mm. this in here. Quarter bottle of sailor cherries. Zip ties? What? Yeah, so uh the zip ties, you can leave that with us. <laughs> but uh just go ahead, finish the Sailor Jerry's, smash it on a table, give yourself a little stabby, and uh we're out. Okay. If that's how you do things around here, I wanna respect your culture. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're gonna do the same thing, aren't we, Jennifer? Yeah, totally. Yep. Goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. Good goodbye forever? Yep. That's really how we end it. Oh. That's it. But goodbye forever. Well, before I disappear into the void, thank you for having me. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is... Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. <laughs> <laughs>